Welcome to the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Jones. Joined as always with Gabby Hyduk, Ali Bussey, Josh Peach, and today we have a special guest, Matt Toon's very own U of I graduate, Daily Illini alumni, uh, founder of Deadspin, contributing writer to New York, or contributing editor to New York Magazine, he writes for MLB.com, The Washington Post, so many different things. Will Leach. Will, how are you doing? Very well, uh, thank you. I am. Uh, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I am. Uh, I, as I we're doing this call through Zoom, and I've done so many. I've done a lot of podcasts, a lot of things through Zoom these days, and I always feel like I'm just showing off because I have a backyard. So I always go outside and like, look, there's green behind me. My son is running behind me now, trying to get on the camera. Uh, so, uh, so I, everybody's always. Uh, are you guys on campus? Where Where are you guys? I we're think all- we're all home. Like I'm in Chicago right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So no one's stuck on campus. That's good. It's just yeah. Georgie B, right? Isn't Georgie B the only one that's stuck? I think on he's campus? literally the only student on campus. <laughs> well, but if, he, he's entertaining himself. Yeah, I was gonna say, in, in the zombie apocalypse, we need someone to uh, to uh, represent the University of Illinois uh, on campus, and when the aliens come, I think Georgie B's not a bad. Guy. <laughs> um, we've all discussed how we're doing with with you know school online, you know quarantine with our families. As a parent, how are you? How are you kind of dealing with this? Well, we're uh, we're teaching these children. Uh, uh, they they have regular regular classes. We're very lucky. We feel very fortunate that we are able to because uh, you know we have a we're we're, uh, we're here in Athens, Georgia, and the kids are have a great public school here. But not all the kids uh, at the school necessarily have the opportunity to be to, to have to be online like we are. So and have these parents that are both home. My wife's a decorator, and I'm a writer, so we're both home all the time anyway. So uh, once we've gotten figured out, uh, we we actually have set up regular schedules for them. Uh, I make them do a book report for me every single week. Um, uh, William's book report appears to be done. Wynn still is not working on his book report right now, and it's due <laughs> at 11 o'clock tomorrow. So, uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm realizing that um, I always kind of thought this, but now I can confirm teachers should be paid a billion dollars. <laughs> it, really it is really hard. And, uh, and kids, uh, uh, we're doing the best we can. I, say, I feel like uh, this is a situation that is uh, difficult for everyone on the planet. So uh, I feel like we are very fortunate. The hardest thing we have to do is to, to make our kids uh, uh, finish that, uh, that Barack Obama book report or uh, your book report about the history of Earth when um, they are, they're way behind on them. But uh, uh, if that's the worst thing we have to deal with, I think we'll be okay. No, definitely. I think you bring up a great point as a writer. You know, you're always home. You're always, you know, trying to think of new content. I think it for us, like it's it's not hard or it's harder than it than it used to be to come up with new content. I think we're all writers. We're all trying our best. What do you think is going to be like? And anybody can speak to this, but like, what do you guys think is going to be kind of that wall where you can't write that story anymore? Of you know what's going to happen next, or like, <laughs> you know what's what this virus means to a sports team or something like that. Yeah, I, I personally, I would say that uh, once they start canceling, I think that's coming, to be honest. And right now we can all do our, they're going to play in a biodome. They're going to they're gonna rent out a private island and they're going to, and all of our kind of fanciful scenarios. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's too early to say the sports are going to be canceled for this year. Uh, but I think that's the mark when we're like, okay, now actually I'm a sports reporter with no sports <laughs> to write at all. Uh, I actually do think there are um, – uh, so many stories to be written about uh, during this time. I mean, it's so rare. I've written a lot in the past about how one of the things that's harder about kind of not just American life, but global life these days, there are no universal experiences. Everybody all gets their news from their own specific sources. They, they hang out with the same little pocket of people and they, uh, and they all have their own little niche interests. It's hard to find something that we all just kind of universally uh, experience uh, together. I would argue the last thing was probably Trump's election and and uh, that was – well, that was also bad. Uh, but this one was uh, – uh, uh, I would say that this uh – uh, on one, on uh, it's obviously terrible. I think there's value, however, in having uh, something that we are all going through. Every single human on the planet is going through this, uh, except for those guys that are in like the Big Brother house that <laughs> haven't got word yet that uh, that this has happened. Uh, and I think if, I think that is exciting for me as an exciting challenge as a writer, both about sports and about anything. The idea that. Uh, 
Uh, if I'm writing about uh, what we're all going through, everyone can understand it and experience as opposed to if I'm writing about baseball, if someone doesn't care about baseball, they're not going to care. If I write about movies, they're not going to care. Uh, so to me, that, that that's a ch- uh, sports-wise, it's a challenge. But also, I have to say, it's suddenly a lot easier to get a hold of athletes because they ain't doing anything either. <laughs> they're just sitting around. Uh, so you know, I think that uh, it, it's easier to get a hold of people. It's easier to talk to people. And I'm curious, you know, to me, the, the idea of, I mean, for crying out loud, when a, when an athlete has like a hamstring injury, we spend thousands of words, thousands of words, talking about how they're going to overcome the injury and how they how their rehab's going, how they're going to get back on the field. To me, the, the uh, you know sports has become so uh, year round a uh, all kind of a CrossFit uh, sort of uh, competition that like I don't know. I'm curious to see when sports come back how these athletes even look because they're not going to be able to train at the incredible level that they've been doing pretty much since they were kids. And so I, I'm, I find it curious to talk to athletes of how they're training when they, they don't have access to materials. I did a interview with the strength and conditioning coach here at Georgia uh, earlier this week. uh, And he is like, he's like the Kool-Aid man. He's ready to bust through every wall. He's desperate to like it because those guys are insane. And, um, and to see the different ways that they're trying to figure out, that's an interesting story. You know, sports may, there might not be any games uh, for a while, but uh, there are always sports stories going on. I think going back to your first point, just about, you know, maybe we don't need to worry now, but if they actually do cancel everything, I think that's something that I've thought a lot about. And I'm sure the three of us have too, just thinking about, you know, the college football season, so much of our coverage as like a student Illinois newspaper, like that football season is so big and that's kind of still up in the air right now. I mean, that's kind of a short time away when you think about it and you think about the impact that this virus has been having. But I think it's at least like for me, and I know like these three guys have done a great job writing these past few weeks. It's just an opportunity to write about different things. Like you said, sources are kind of more available right now. Like a lot of the Illinois coaches were able to kind of get on the phone, you know, when we contact SIDs, they're being pretty quick about that because I mean, what else are they doing? So I think it is just interesting to think about the different stories that we get to be doing, especially at like a college level, because, you know, with SIDs and everything, like sometimes there's really tight, you know, hands around what these coaches and players can talk about and when they can talk to us. So I think it's just hearing and kind of humanizing, especially a coach like Brad Underwood, you know, he's not humanized very often. And hearing that he's cleaning out his, you know, closet is something weird that like to think we care about that. But I think we do care about that because it kind of just shows that, like you said, everybody's kind of in this together and nobody's no, Brad Underwood doesn't have more privilege to go outside and right. not social distance than us just because he's the head coach of the Illinois basketball team. So I think it's just cool to kind of get those people in a different light right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too, because so much of sports coverage, I think, over the last 15, 20 years, as there's just been a huge separation between the people that cover the sports and the people in the sports. You just don't – you can't really they, – they've done – they've been successful – in both college and professional, putting more and more walls up in between them and you. Um, and what's interesting is now I think there's no longer a thought, uh, just kind of what you talked about of, of Underwood uh, uh, dealing, cleaning out his closet and so on. They're, they can't really hide because they're just in the same dumb locked in here place like the rest of us are. And I think there's value in that. And I, th- I feel like I have found, even from some of the people that I've talked to, uh, people that used to be – like I just did this cover story on Kevin Durant that is not going to run now, by the way. They, see, I've truly, truly suffered the most because my cover story That's on so Kevin Durant got, got booted. Um, but uh, uh, it's been interesting to be able uh, – doing getting a whole, getting an, or an interview set up with him, getting you set up with Rich Kleiman, his manager, all of that before this – was impossible and required like me jumping through a million hoops and me having to basically prostrate myself uh, in front of uh, them to try to get this cover story interview. And now like they're like, they're like, how are you doing? Are you hanging in? Are you okay? Uh, when I, every time I talk to them, they are, they're recognizing 
uh, we're all kind of recognizing each other as human beings a little bit better, as opposed to looking at each other in this sort of um, uh, in 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 the hierarchy and the con in this fake construct of the sports media world. And I think that's good. I'm sure we'll completely forget it uh, once everything gets back going. But uh, for now, uh, I, you know, I, I it's nice talking to people uh, like a normal person again, even if you uh, are not actually near them at all. You know, well, it's funny you mentioned that we're going to completely like forget what's going on in the world. And I've been thinking about that in the past couple of weeks of like, well, once the world does start to get back to normal, you know, are we going to remember to wash our hands as much as we do and social distance and all of those little things? And I think that's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. But within the sports world, I think we're all just craving for it to get back. I mean, you just look at like the reaction that Major League Baseball has gotten to their like proposed idea or plan that they are trying to do things in Arizona like I'm so craving baseball right now as much as I ever have and I just want the world to get back to normal because I'm tired of being cooped up in my house but I really agreed with what you're saying about is the world going to go back to normal or are we all just going to forget what we're doing yeah I I think it's weird because I found the reaction to that like I I don't think it's going to work I wrote a piece three weeks ago about how uh, these playing these games in biodomes does not work, and uh, and how all it takes is one guy to test positive, or or something along those lines. But I kind of like that they're trying. <laughs> like I don't know if it's gonna work, but like just the okay. When you need to move over there, my son is pretending to be a zombie behind me. You need to be quiet, okay? Um, and uh, and look, oh my God, he actually is a zombie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so. Uh, I, I don't think their play was going to work, but the overwhelming negativity toward it, like somehow Major League Baseball works for even like bringing it up, was bizarre to me. Uh, I think clearly uh, uh, maybe that plan's not going to work, but I like that they're trying something. I think that uh, Nate Silver wrote a good thing about this as well, about how uh, in, in a lot of ways, all the things that, um, what was that? What was the idea if you're, uh, that if I think Dr. Fauci said, the idea that if you are, uh, people think you're overreacting the, with, uh, you're probably doing something right. And Silver pointed out that it actually goes in the other direction in that now that we're in the middle of it, it feels like, oh, well, the idea that sports would ever happen is absurd and you're a jerk for even bringing it up. But the fact is, it actually goes the other direction. Like, eventually, we are going to want to slowly kind of open things up a little bit. And that doesn't mean that, like, aha, we're done. It's over. All right, we can move on with our lives. Uh, clearly, there's – hopefully, we're going to need a little bit more uh, – instruction from the executive branch on how this is going to work. But certainly I think that um, if they're eventually sports is going to come back. So I don't think it's unreasonable for sports uh, leagues and commissioners to try to float some ideas, see what might work, see what might not work as opposed to uh, just saying um, nobody cares about sports right now. People totally care about sports right now. And frankly, in college, like, listen, there are college budgets that are going to get destroyed, have nothing to do with sports if there's no college football this year. And that's a shame because uh, it's, a, it's a sign of how, un, uh, how stupidly powerful college football has become uh, to universities and colleges around the country. But it's nevertheless true. And so uh, the, the idea that, like, you sports people shouldn't care about your sports, well, I mean, I agree. There are more important things going on in the world uh, than sports right now. But it's not just – yeah, again, there, people always want to put like sports over here and the rest of the world over here, and they're connected now just as much as they've always been. I think it's funny how you mentioned how they're really connected because the first day where I like, you know, really started to pay attention to the coronavirus and how the effect that it could have on the world was, um, it would have been the Wednesday before we came home for spring break, and that was the day Rudy Rudy Gay I think was announced to have to there, yeah. Or yeah, sorry, yeah, tested positive for the coronavirus, and the NBA cancels their season or postpones their season, and there's all these other announcements related to sports. And I feel like, for me personally, just because that's my like outlet is sports, that's when I really recognize the severity of the coronavirus and how much it was going to change the world. Yeah, no, I think that also this this time is so. I mean, obviously there's silver linings to everything, and I think a silver lining for for the sports world is that this is a time we can really like go in depth on like learning why we actually like these people. Like it's amazing to see what they can do, you know, in their field of play. But like, for instance, like there's so many sports podcasts, there's so many sports documentaries, so many in-depth feature stories about all these people that are amazing for what they can do physically, but are also amazing for what, you know, they do off the court. LeBron James, it's, you know, funding education in his, in Akron, you know, all these people doing, 
all these amazing things. And I think this is really a time that we can, you know, dive into that and appreciate them, you know, for more than what they just do on the, on the court. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that was kind of frustrating uh, when, when uh, Trump had his meeting with all the commissioners uh, last week, because I, you know, it felt like it could have gone one of two ways. It felt like it could have gone either. He said, okay, guys, let's get everybody back. We're going to get back people going. This is what was what America wants. They're going to want sports back. Let's figure out some sort of way to do it. I don't know if that would have necessarily been the best uh, allocation of resources, but I understand it, right? Like I, like I get, as someone that writes about sports, I'd like sports to come back, but I also do think that there is value in sports that goes beyond that. I, uh, people, so, all everyone talks about is how they want to get back to normal, and I think sports are something that theoretically could help people get back to normal, uh, at least start, start along that process. Process. Or he could have gone the other direction and he could have said, you know what? No sports until 2021. This is, we're all canceled. It's gonna, it sucks. But you know what? Commissioners, I want you to use your stadiums. I want you to use your resources. I want you, you to use your ties to the community. You do what will make your stadium into a hospital where uh, you, you uh, start using some of your income for this. Uh, be, if you're going to be a big part of your community, be that now. And you know what? When we bail out big things later, if you guys all lose a lot of money uh, by canceling your season, the federal government's got your back. Like, I think there's value in that too. It was disappointing that it was basically just like open by Easter, the general vague, weird things that are always kind of coming out of there. Cause I think there's, there is actually a value that I think sports can provide and teams and commissioners and leagues can provide that goes beyond actual just sports now. And I think it's perhaps telling that uh, more uh, with exceptions, I think uh, Robert Kraft would be a good example of this. And Mark Cuban would be a good example of this uh, of, uh, of owners stepping up and trying to help out. But on the whole, I think it's perhaps telling that more players, have actually uh, been involved in trying to uh, trying to help out, uh, it, whether it's uh, people that work that lost their jobs working at the stadiums, or or just helping out in the community, or, or like like you talk about with uh, Le- LeBron, who has always been very community focused and oriented. You've seen them stepping up more than the owners, uh, which I find uh, telling of America in the year uh, 2020 anyway, uh, before the pandemic. So uh, it, I think sports has a huge value in this. Um, but, you know, sports is plagued by a lot of the same problems that a lot of American culture is, which is, uh, you know, the people that run sports are incredibly wealthy people uh, who are going to think about themselves first. And, uh, and I think that uh, that has hindered the response uh, in a way that I think sports could have been helpful, whether there's games or not. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, Illinois history. We were all, you know, four or five years old when um, the last time Illinois made a basketball national championship. Uh, what do you kind of remember from that team? I guess we're all really itching for that because we didn't get a March Madness this year and a team that was pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm old enough to remember the first one. Uh, I was uh, I was thir- I was 13 when uh, the Mar- the Kenny Battle Kendall Gill team, and then so that was I was 13. So like that was just that was just the coolest team that had ever existed. Uh, and so the 05 team, I was actually uh, I was actually living in New York, and that was my connection to home uh, in a way that that team was. The thing about that team is Illinois had good teams in both football and basketball. But Illinois is never Michigan or Ohio State, or they're never, you know, the, uh, the way Ohio State is in football. That year, the way that Ohio State is in football now, that's what Illinois was in basketball. It wasn't so much that they were good, it's that they were so obviously better than everyone else and so much fun to watch doing it. That's something as an Illinois fan, even that old. Uh, 89 team, which was fun, but also, and they were really good, but they were not like overwhelming. Um, that Illinois, that that D Brown, Darren Williams team was overwhelming. They were, they just, they, no one could play with them. Uh, and uh, and for them to play the way they did and to be so entertaining about it, it was, uh, uh, it was the perfect combination of, you know, people have their questions about Bruce Weber as a coach, but the thing that he does great is if he has buy-in from talented players, uh, which he clearly did that year, his system works beautifully. And, uh, and that team was just a glory to watch and to have, it was big personalities. It's telling that Darren Williams was the best player on that team, obviously, but D Brown was who everybody loved. D was, D was the, uh, the, he was the guy that every, he was a charismatic guy. He was the one everyone wanted to play with. He was the, they didn't put, uh, they didn't make the alma mater statue, alma mater statue look like Darren Williams. They gave it a D, they gave him a D Brown headband. I mean, he, he was the heart and soul of that team. And, you know, even just the other, 
other stories happen. Like Bruce Weber's mother died, like in the middle of the Big Ten tournament, and like and 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 you know Bill Murray gets <laughs> becomes a big part of the team. And you know that the 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 in the tournament that year, you know they played in Indianapolis, Chicago, and St. Louis. I mean, it was just it, it, they were the home team. If for one year. You know, I have a friend. Uh, uh, I have a friend of mine who is a diehard Kansas City Royals fan, and uh, she always watches uh, the Cardinals. And she gets she hates the Cardinals because you know because the Cardinals are always good because the Cardinals are the best franchise in all of uh, organized sport, and uh, and the Royals are always bad because they're not the Cardinals. And but when the Royals were good and they were the best team in baseball and they won the World Series, he's like, she was like, I only wanted this once. Like, I just, I never get to be the best team. I never get to be that team. That was the thing with the Illinois team. Illinois teams have had good teams. I would make a pretty strong argument. I've been watching Illinois basketball obsessively since I would say 1983 was the first year I ever watched. I was a very small kid. I was obsessed with him. And I would say this year's team by the end of the year was one of the best teams that I have seen, probably one of the 10 best I've seen in that time. Um, But that's still like an insurgent team and an underdog team. And we're excited because Illinois hasn't been that good. That 05 team was Ohio State. They were a higher. They were Ohio State with Fields. They were. Uh, they were. Uh, they were Alabama. They were the Yankees. They were the great. But they were ours. Like that's the, like Illinois never gets teams like that. And that was what was most exciting about that. And that's why that national championship game was so frustrating because when Luther had uh, missed that three point for those who have watched the game, Luther had missed the three pointer that would have given Illinois a lead when they made that big run late. I have never been more certain in my life that a shot was going to go in. Uh, that I was convinced that team was going to win the national championship and they would be talked about forever as one of the greatest basketball teams in history. Uh, it's crazy that an Illinois fan would think, oh, yes, obviously we're going to win. <laughs> like That's not what Illinois sports is about at all. But that's what that team did. And I think uh, uh, that's what was special about that team. They were fun to watch and they were great, but they were – it felt like, like finally the, the, the sun was shining on all of us. Well, how much do you think it would have changed if Illinois would have beat North Carolina in that national championship game? Do you think the next, you know, four or five years would have been more similar? I mean, they were obviously really good in 05-06 with D and James Augustine being seniors, and I think they got second or third place in the Big Ten. But after that, they kind of started to fall off a little bit. Do you think Illinois would still be near the top of the country in programs had they won that national championship game? Um, listen, I love Bruce Weber a lot, but no, uh, Weber, uh, I don't, I, Weber is a, uh, is a, is an excellent coach, uh, for, I think he's like the world's greatest Missouri Valley conference coach, which is to say he's going to be really good every year, but he's never going to get to, to that level. I mean, even those guys were sales recruits and uh, Weber was the perfect coach for them. And I think Weber, uh, that's not fair to Weber to say that that team was only good because it was sales players. Weber was a great coach for that team and they totally bought in. If you talk to Darren Williams, he loves Bruce Weber. Like he has nothing but great things to say about Weber, but Weber, (laughs) I'll put, how can I put this uh, delicately? There are certain things that are required of college basketball coaches to consistently bring in talent at the highest levels. And Bruce Weber was not willing to do those things Uh, as a human being. Uh, uh, living in a uh, in a utopian moral universe, I admire Bruce Weber for those things. Uh, as someone that wants my team to win a national championship and also lives in the real world, um, I, uh, uh, I I Bruce Weber was never going to be that guy, and uh, I, I don't mean that a crit- criticism of him. I'm not trying to be cynical about it. Like, but uh, uh, no, I think that uh, that you were not going to be able to consistently get the type of talent that you need to be a top shelf team with Bruce Weber as coach. And I, I actually mean that more to praise him than to criticize him, at least in a, in a holistic universe uh, world. But uh, no, I, I, I love Bruce Weber. I'm glad he's doing well, but Kansas state seems right. <laughs> Kansas state seems right for him. Southern Illinois seems right for him. Uh, I want Illinois uh, to win national, to win a national championship before I die. And uh, that was not good. That, that was his one shot. And that was, uh, it may have been Illinois' one shot. I don't know. But uh, no, I, I, I don't. I think uh, if they would have won uh, that national championship, the same issues that came up with them would have kept coming up. So uh, my dad was a freshman for the Flying Illini team. 
in 89, he kind of loved that everyone was, you know, the same height. Everyone was from Illinois, but then you go to 2005 for the national championship team and you kind of have that traditional one, two, three, four, five, the difference in height and everything. And we kind of had that this past year with IO and then Kofi and, you know, whether they leave or not. And we saw success in that they were top four in the conference. So now that we do have a coach like Brad Underwood, instead of someone like Bruce Weber, could you see Illinois in the future, like getting the recruits with their coaching to, you know, kind of stay on top of the conference and be top four consistently? Uh, yeah. And I, and to be fair, I want to be make, make that clear. I'm making no, uh, um, uh, inferences or accusations or anything involving the way that Brad Underwood runs his program, but I think he is more tied into the way that college basketball is coached and recruited now than Bruce Weber is. Uh, make, we can say whatever that you would like to. Um, and I think clearly he's building something, but I also think that, you know, it's not like Underwood is uh, Calipari who's just coming in and, and like, you know, he has been very smart about knowing guys that fit his system, but also, also knowing when to switch the system. To me, that was, uh, I wasn't sure, you know, I, I, uh, one of the things that's hard about college basketball as someone that loves the college basketball first, but also very much loves the NBA, the culture in the sports, particularly with coaches is so different. I mean, I, I frankly get a little tired of the red, like, uh, like Underwood, like you never see NBA coaches scream at players the way that Brad Underwood or Tom Izzo or any of these college players do. And the reason is because of power. <laughs> like college basketball coaches have power and college basketball players do not have power. And uh, that's why John Beeline, who is an incredible college coach, crapped out immediately in the NBA. And so uh, a guy like Underwood, uh, when he, uh, I culturally, I will say that that is not my spirit of coach to the uh, to the way that he would scream at guys and yell at guys. Uh, but I also think I also understand that uh, uh, he has been more flexible. Uh, than I would have thought he was. Uh, to the fact that he changed his entire system upon getting Kofi, and made it work uh, because of Kofi, and uh, did not try to force Kofi to be something that he wasn't. Uh, that's a good sign. That's a sign of a good coach. That's a sign of a smart coach. And uh, that was very encouraging to me. Uh, I'm impressed. I I figured Kofi would be the first thing we talked about. I'm like totally panicking uh, about about <laughs> Kofi going. And uh, but to be clear, you know I. I uh, it's weird that a lot of the reaction uh, to Kofi uh, announcing that he may be entering the draft has been, well, he could use another year. And I don't think there's any good. I, I find that the people that say that are uh, universally 100% Illinois basketball fans, <laughs> and, uh, which is to say uh, what Kofi really has to decide is, uh, is the instruction that he will get in the, for the next year. Um, worth uh, 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 a is it going to be better at Illinois than it would be somewhere else and B if he thinks it would be is it uh, enough to offset not getting any money or getting money <laughs> and to me like you know the the, the idea of uh, if Kofi Coburn says uh, I there are a lot of really good big man coaches in the world and uh, I think I've thrived in the Illinois program and veteran was been a good, good coach for me, but I bet I can get, uh, if I can also get a really good coach and get money, I should do that. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't blame him for that. So the idea that Kofi should come back to help his draft stock. Yeah, maybe, or he can go maybe get drafted or maybe be a free agent project and get coached by, you know, pr people that are getting paid millions of dollars to give to, uh, to make NBA basketball teams, millions more of dollars so um uh it's not college basketball is not what it was 10 15 years ago and i say that someone that loves college basketball but the idea that the best way for kofi coburn to become uh to make him more money long term is to come back to illinois and not get paid for a year i'm not sure that's true uh i hope it's true uh, and I hope he believes it's true because I like Illinois and I'm terrified what happens if he, Griffin, and Kofi are all gone. Um, if he, if he, I, excuse me, he, Io, and, and Griffin are all gone. Uh, but, um, you know, that's I'm a 44-year-old man who likes basketball. So I likes my basketball team. Uh, I, and I, therefore, I wouldn't trust my judgment on what's best for Kofi Coburn uh, because I'm obviously just thinking about me in that regard. And I think that when people yell at Kofi, this is a mistake. How can you do this? Like, they don't know nothing about Kofi. They know nothing about what Kofi uh, Coburn's gone through. They know nothing about the situation that he's in. They know nothing about the fact that, like, you know what? They all have jobs that give them income and money for the jobs and work that they do. Kofi Coburn doesn't get that, and he has the opportunity to get that. Uh, and it's probably, and 
has, has come from more difficult circumstances than I did from Mattoon, Illinois. And if you've been to Mattoon, Illinois, that's kind of difficult circumstances. So, uh, so yeah, I think that uh, uh, I, I, I want him to come back, but uh, I cannot fathom anyone blaming him for not. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you've obviously been around, you said since 1983 as an Illinois uh, fan. Who, who are some of your favorite you know, just basketball players or football players um, that you've seen go through the Illini program? Uh, from my era, the big, ba- the big uh, basketball guy was Kiwan Garris. Kiwan Garris was a freshman when I was a freshman. And uh, so, and so I always – my favorite – one of my favorite shorts I ever did for the Daily Illini because I covered the team sophomore, junior, and senior years. And uh, so I knew Kiwan really well. By that point, I, I had been uh, – like I had classes with him. I'm, I'm proud to report that uh, the late Matt Heldman got me through an Econ 105 class. <laughs> I, uh, I interviewed him enough that I saw him in class. I was like – Hey, great. It was a big lecture hall and uh, he was a much better student than I was. And so uh, he just gave me his notes. <laughs> and I got up my gentleman C. So, um, uh, so Matt Helmond and it was a, was a better person than I was. Um, Kiwan was, I always admire Kiwan because he was, I always admire guys like him who, um, and who, and Malcolm Hill would be another example of this, who were the best player on teams that never reached that top level and therefore get a little bit forgotten because of it. Um, so I wouldn't say Kiwan was the best player, but he was really good, and he was one of my favorite players. Uh, Simeon Rice was the was the football guy when I was there. Uh, I, he was so likable and an and a, and a incredibly friendly, uh, affable human being that uh, he was one of those guys that you, you – when he walked through camp, just people like followed behind him like people would just would see him across the across the street and just kind of like all kind of gather behind him he was kind of the Pied Piper of the whole campus um my favorite player the one I uh outside of those two teams uh those two final four teams my favorite player at Illinois that didn't play for one of those teams was probably Frank Williams Frank Williams to me was uh just absolutely gorgeous to watch play basketball. And, uh, and I, I thought he had the most pure talent, uh, almost probably, I thought he had more talent than Darren did. And, uh, I just thought he was an absolutely incredible player. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, he went to college and, uh, and, 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 and enjoyed himself as well. You should, um, uh, when you're in college, my sister was in college at the same time as Frank Williams. So I can vouch. I think they had enjoyable times together out at, at parties, uh, at times and more power to him. Uh, uh, that I, I was not the most, uh, uh disciplined my, person myself, uh, in college, but, uh, I would say that Frank Williams was probably my, my the, just to watch was probably my favorite player. But, uh, I do remember, my, I do remember my sister calling me when she was in college and I was, I was living in Los Angeles and, uh, and, uh, I was like, Hey, are you watching the Illini game? And she's like, Oh no, I'm not even awake. Uh, Oh wow. That's right. Frank's probably playing today. I bet he's tired. I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Don't say one way or the other. So, uh, but Frank, I, I loved Frank Williams uh, a lot. As well. well, you mentioned earlier that that 0405 team with Illinois basketball felt like Illinois was on top of the world. They were like the Alabama or the Ohio state in football, but in basketball, the early two thousands were kind of like that for Illinois basketball. They won three or four big 10 titles. They made deep runs as, into the NCAA tournament. Was that your highlight of an Illini, as an Illini fan? And was that the best time it's been to be an Illinois fan? Yeah, that was, that felt like the culmination. Like that felt like, but it was weird, you know, because it's strange. This is what's different about now than the, the, the 05 team, you know, just a, the, there's a famous picture that was actually, I believe on the cover of the daily Illini when Bruce Weber was introduced as the coach and you see D Brown in the front uh, D Brown and Darren Williams in the front seat at the press conference looking like, who is this yokel? I want nothing to do with this guy. Weber was not a popular hire when that happened. Everyone was very upset when Bill self left and it felt like here we go again with Illinois basketball. Like we're just not. And Illinois had gone through a, a terrific time, obviously. Like Lou Henson had a, was a great coach, and Lon Kruger was a great coach, and Bill Self was obviously a great coach. But um, but there, you always got there, and never quite made it. Like it wasn't just the Final Four in '89. Um, the uh, uh, they had lost to Kentucky in the national championship game. Obviously, in the Elite Eight. Lost to Kentucky in the Elite Eight uh, at Kentucky. Now, like they'd had these great in '84, they had these great teams that had not ever broken through, and it felt like when Self left, 
we're like, yep, that's who we are. We're always going to be second tier. And, and now we've got these great two guys, not third tier, but second tier below those top guys. And you saw it on D Brown and Darren Williams face. Uh, it was not the upward trajectory and maybe Kofi and Io and Griffin all leaving uh, will be a sign that we're not on an upward trajectory now. What was exciting about this year's team is it felt like, yep, they're getting better, they're getting better, they're getting better, and they're going to break through. Uh, it felt like that something was being built. That 05 team was a surprise. We knew they were good. I don't think anyone thought they were going to be anything near that good. Um, and they played Wake Forest around Thanksgiving that year at home and just it was the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And it, uh, that was Chris Paul. That was Wake Forest number one. And only just wasted them at that point you're like holy shit we're like the best team in the country we're never the best team in the country uh, so yeah that was really really exciting in a way and it, but it was it felt like a lightning bolt it, it didn't feel like i didn't know if it was sustainable i didn't care if it was sustainable it was just so awesome um whereas uh, so that was the highlight but what i want illinois to be is what i thought was building up to this year which is get, get recruiting going get a system going get everything start working so it can be sustainable and you can get kind of to me the ideal time in Illinois basketball history was in that Hinson 80s era until the Bruce Pearl uh, uh, NCAA stuff where they were just really good every year. They were sweet 16 quality every year and never, and then if they got hot, they could maybe get, make a final four run. That's what I want Illinois basketball to be. I don't like this up and down, up and down. You get it and you, and you fall back down. Uh, Illinois should be a top 25 team, no question, every year. That's what I want to see happen. So that to me, as much as 05 was the best individual experience, uh, the, 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 the Jones I'm always chasing is, that it, is when the 80s, when they were – a top 16 team every single season because that's what every everyone that remembers or grew up in that time remember the, the, when i grew up every single game was on wcia like they were like every like like they would interrupt whatever the cbs programming was that night and have there was a famous commercial because it's farm country and there's a famous commercial of a guy out in his tractor and his son run outside and saying daddy daddy the illini are on and they would come on in son and it was just like a whole like like corn poke kind of silly thing that made people like, like that's why people in 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 farm country illinois love illinois college basketball so much more than they love illinois football because every game was on you grew up just as a part of your life and they were great every year that is what i miss and that's that to me was the actual high point uh the 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 zenith was uh, the 05 season but what i'm chasing is and the best period i think was that time when hinson really had it going i think what the most frustrating thing about this season was is just like you said there was that like upward trajectory the whole year and even building off of how they ended the last season you know they obviously had the most losses in program history but you could kind of see things improving and then you obviously hit these cancellations that have you know, nothing to do with Illinois basketball, but it kind of just seems fitting for Illinois basketball to, you know, be on that track and, you know, potentially break through in the tournament. Obviously we can't, there's all those simulations in the brackets, but we can't genuinely predict where Illinois basketball would have finished, but hopes were high. And I think what was so frustrating, I mean, Will, you were at a game this year, just the energy in State Farm Center this year was so good, so different. I mean, like, sitting and covering those games was just, like, it felt so electric. Like, I would just get the chills during, like, lineups and everything because, you know, it just felt like it wasn't just the players that were, like, bought in and that were, like, excited. It was the fans, and I think that's been something that's, like, lacked with Illinois basketball this kind of past, like, decade, I guess, is just having – those diehard fans that will always be diehard fans, but have them show up and just be really excited about the team. And then, you know, just not knowing the future of Kofi and we have to assume the future of IO as well. It's hard to think that like we didn't, nobody got to see what they actually were made of because things change in March Madness. We see it all the time. Like Loyola a couple of years ago just went crazy in March Madness. You see teams who just go crazy. And I feel like, it's frustrating because we didn't get to see what a player like Io, you know, cold-blooded killer, you know, just shot after shot at the buzzer. You didn't really get to see what he could do. And then you kind of didn't expect to think Kofi was 
possibly at the end of his short Illinois career. So I think the hardest thing for me, and I'm sure for a lot of you guys too, is just like not getting to see if this is the last time that like those couple guys play together, like what that team was actually made of in like a big dance scenario. Yeah, this is totally the way it would go down for Illinois, wouldn't it? <laughs> to have it all kind of come together. But I will give you this, though. I will say this. Uh, those fans uh, – two things. One, uh, those fans – uh, you know, the reason they've not come out is because Illinois has been bad for a decade. And, you know, I, I think back to that game uh, last year when they hosted Georgetown, who wasn't even that good of a team. Uh, but, man, that place was nuts. <laughs> like, Illinois was not that good. And Illinois was so – And but, you, you know, that, that, that there was so much optimism just for Illinois basketball to be anything that that place was packed and loud and you were hearing, Illinois basketball's back, Illinois basketball's back. They weren't. But, like, fans are so – desperate for it we're so thirsty for it almost too thirsty for it to be honest and uh but they want it so badly that like they don't need like this team was good this was a really good team i, I would like to see what they did in the tournament as well but like this is not the 05 team but this they were cheered like they were the 05 team it was electric in there like it was the good old days because there is such desperation to and people want it so badly that they don't need to see a number one team to treat them like a number one team, which to me is a very good sign. That is an excellent sign. Um, you know, uh, it, I live in, in Athens, Georgia. They care about football here the way that Illinois cares about basketball, and they care about basketball the way Illinois cares about. Uh, is there a club lacrosse team still? Um, and uh, you know, they uh, that like they're never going to have a great basketball team here because the fans just don't care enough. The fans just they just don't. Illinois has something that is really really important, which is they have a fan base that is desperate for them to win and willing to to pay coaches to show up to games. Like even when, uh, you know, you know, the minute they sniff anything halfway that makes them feel like what it used to be, that place is crazy. And uh, that's a good sign. That's an important thing. Two, on one hand, yes, we can look at what was lost and all what Illinois could have basketball could have done. On the other hand, uh, the NCAA tournament, as you said, is weird. And it's also possible that they – get upset in the first round game and we're like, oh, we can't even get this right. Like, I have to say, my the last memory all of us have of Illinois basketball and that team is stuffing it in, in freaking McCaffrey's face uh, at <laughs> Iowa. And like, I hate Iowa. I hate that team. I hate that coach. I actually I actually don't hate I- Igor, whatever his name is, the the, the player of the year. Uh, uh, I'm just, I know he's not Igor. I'm just, I just he's just low fish and, and uh, lunkish to me. I actually kind of like him. But Iowa is just hateable by nature and so uh the if illinois the last time we saw that team was not them getting upset by uh some mac team because weird shit happens in the tournament uh the the last time we saw them it was beating a team that they had lost to on super bowl sunday in a very frustrating very competitive very everyone's gonna get in a fight sort of game uh they won that game uh we always you know so much of uh, a lot of the fun of sports as i've gotten older, i kind of realize this is thinking what if like listen as a Cardinals fan, Cardinals fans talk more about Don Dickinger, the umpire who cost them the 1985 World Series, than they talk about winning the 2006 World Series. Like there is something about, oh, what would have happened? It's always better to have things live in your imagination sometimes than to have them actually happen. We will always look back at the 1920 team and be like, wow, they, they, were, they, were, they were peaking. Uh, Iowa was great. Uh, even freaking Kipper was coming around. Like everything was all kind of coming together uh what could they have done they also could have lost in the first round (laughs) like that absolutely could have happened i don't think so but i also don't think they would have won the national championship but i believe they could have and to me that's kind of i feel like it's obviously sad that what happened i feel terrible for the players as a fan uh i will always remember this team fondly uh and think that they could have won the whole thing uh, and I have no evidence to contrast me, uh, contradict me in that, which means uh, I just assumed they would have. I think the last thing we wanted to hit on was, and you can have your time to think about this because we already thought about it, but we all really appreciate, and I know you do too, storytelling in sports. And one of the you know best documentary series in sports storytelling is the 30 for 30 series. Um, I wanted to ask you your favorite, um, but if you don't have one right off the, off the bat, uh, we can go first. Um, 
Yeah, I, well, first off, my favorite is the cheating one, uh, which is OJ Made in America. I just think OJ Made in America is an absolute masterpiece in every possible way. And uh, I wrote a big story about that for New York Magazine uh, right before it came out. I'm friends with Ezra Edelman, the director of the movie, so I am a little biased there. But uh, it is uh, that movie is incredible. And um, uh, and as someone that lived through that back in the day, uh, it's kind of remarkable how uh, how. He, it picks up every nuance. It helps when you have eight hours. <laughs> so it helps you, yeah. you pick up a lot of the nuances. Of the more traditional ones, I think the Iver, Alan Iverson one uh, is really great. Uh, uh, and I think anytime you're able to shine light on something that we got wrong the first time, that's those are my favorite ones. Uh, the Iverson is a great example of this. Uh, there is a, there's just no, like if Iverson played now, he would be the coolest everybody would just love him so much he would just be universally beloved uh, around basketball and at the time i mean people like they didn't give him a freaking inch like uh, and i mean they airbrushed his tattoos on the cover of the official nba magazine like that like to show how how much uh the sport has changed and how when you see guys that are ahead of their time and Iverson was just so ahead of his time. And that documentary does a really good job of, of, of kind of describing that. I'm pretty sure The Last Dance is going to be on there. I know no one's seen it yet, but uh, I think everyone is uh, excited about that. Uh, I also really like Winning Time, which is the one about the Pacers-Knicks uh, rivalry. I think that one is, uh, is really good because it reminded me of uh, – uh, again, I lived through that time. It reminded me how, uh, A – how big of a deal Spike Lee was back then. Like Spike Lee is a filmmaker is uh, still like a great filmmaker, but back then he was like a massive public personality. And like, like every, like people were interviewing him at the sidelines before the games and not the Knicks coach. Like that is, that is amazing how big of a deal that Spike Lee was at the time. And also that Reggie Miller, if you hear Reggie Miller uh, call it uh, broadcast a game now, you would think, wow, this person is the worst, it would be the worst interview of all time. But he was actually this awesome villain and this really cocky guy. So I, I really like that one too. Those are probably my, the ones I, I, I probably love the most. But uh, I haven't seen, I, uh, in the last few, I feel like the last few have gotten a little bit more formulaic. They're still good. But like the thing, the, the 30 for 30 series originated in that they gave them to like independent filmmakers and like kind of, and let them do their own thing with them. Now they call all kind of have like a, a very specific, format it's a good format and i like it but i'm always going to veer more toward the early ones when they would let uh, uh, the, uh the last one i would say is uh is the june 1994 one as well uh which is all about the day that the of the oj chase of the nba finals of the of the rangers winning the because uh, that i like that one not because i care about all of those things so much but more it's it's uh stylistically ambitious and that there's no narration there's no interviews it's really just how you experience that day they wouldn't take chances with like that with a document with one of the 30 for 30 now so uh, i like the way they did that one yeah, something definitely. you said there that i feel like i really kind of understood too was the idea that telling the story that we got wrong the first time to me that really connects with the bob knight um 30 for 30 they did i think that was last february and i i didn't know all the bob knight story especially what kind of led to him losing his job at indiana with him choking out a player and then grabbing a random student by the arm i didn't know all of that so i found that one really interesting um and then there's just so many good ones the fab five is one of my favorite ones and i hate michigan as much as any <laughs> school in the country and but you know you watch that and you root for that team because they're cool and they're fun to watch and they've got the long shorts and the black socks before that was cool they were kind of the ones to make that cool in college basketball I think what makes 30 for 30 so special is that they focus on all of the things that feed into this player or topic or story being cool like the fab five it was the black shorts and the long pants or all the Jordan ones with the shoes. You know what I mean? There's They focus in, on all the small details, which are what really make the story. So there's so many good ones, but those are just two of my favorite. Um, I'm really excited for The Last Dance. I'm happy that they pushed that up till I think, April 19th to release that because I think we all need it at this point. And the, the 90s Bulls isn't something I know a lot about because I'm not a huge Chicago sports fan and, like, I'm a diehard Cardinals fan, Blues fan, but – I don't know a lot about the 90s Bulls, and I'm really excited to see everything I learned from that. And I'm hoping it's similar to the OJ series because it is long and there's a lot of different time and for the small details to be told. 
I think them moving the Bulls documentary up is like the smartest thing they could have ever done because you know everybody's going to be glued to that because same with like something like the NFL draft like that's the closest we can get to something right now um but I know I was struggling to come up with some of my favorites before the show but one I really liked was the uh Price of Gold the one about uh Tanya Harding and uh Nancy Kerrigan right Nancy yeah and I don't know just I like I personally like drama um and (laughs) Brendan knows we watched The Bachelorette together we love the drama but um that one is just I've I've watched that several times just because it's just such a weird story and like figure skating isn't something that we also like hear a lot about I don't know. I also just love the drama, like I said. So that's one of my favorites. But I think, you know, consensus, the OJ one was great too. But yeah, I don't know. I'm so bad at thinking of <laughs> things I've watched. I can't remember names of anything, but I do like the Price of Gold one. Yeah, no, for yeah. me, I really like the, just being from Chicago, the Benji one. Um, he had so much influence in Chicago. And I knew about Benji before even, you know, seeing that documentary, how he, you know, inspired people like Derrick Rose, Jabari Parker, you know, everybody in Chicago, especially through the basketball channel, like knows Benji and just being able to see like an in-depth, you know, thing on that instead of just hearing like, oh, this was this great basketball player who got shot like this, how great he was, how influential he was, you know, how hyped up he was. Just really cool things to see, Josh. That was a great yeah. one, by the way. I forgot about that one. I love that one, too. Uh, and it's such a big part of Illinois basketball, too. Yeah. Um, Alec, you said, like, 30 for 30s do a great job of, like, bringing you all these reasons to think, like, one team or one person's, like, so cool or so good and, like, reasons to like them. And my favorite is I hate Christian Leitner, and it's part of the reason they do, like, the five pillars of hating this guy. Like, he comes from the rich school Duke. He's this pretty boy, you know, the five things in that. And I think that when a documentary series makes you want to watch or a person, like a person or a team and go back and watch them so bad, that's how you know it's really good. And for me, all I know that I want to do is go back to the early 90s and watch Christian Leitner because I would have hated that guy. <laughs> like when he stomped on Kentucky's player, like, and also the 30 for 30 does a cool job with that one because he's interviewed too and you don't always get that with those. So he's like, oh yeah, I just gave him a little love tap. Like I would have been fuming with that. So I think that my favorite is I hate Christian Leitner. I'm a, I'm a big Cubs fan, but I still really do like Catching Hell. That's probably my second favorite one. Yeah, no. Well, guys, I want to thank you guys again for joining, um, especially with Lee. Thank you for taking your time out of your day. Um, for Gabby, for Alec, for Josh, I'm Brendan. Um, thank you for joining. This has been the Daily Line Sports Podcast.